The following program is brought to you by the 511 Media Group. This program is available on iTunes, Spotify, the 511 Media Group YouTube channel, and 511mediagroup.com. Welcome back to the Play It Loud podcast. I'm Rich. I'm Ryan. Welcome back. So today's a pretty special day. We'll get into that in a few minutes. Uh, we're going to start with our first three. Uh, we're going to roll through this pretty quick because we've got some. Uh, we got a special guest today, and we want to get right to that. Uh, our first three. Uh, our new song is by Adelita's Way. It is called Talk. Uh, I believe it's their first song in at least a year. Uh, it may be more than that. Let's take a look. Um, I think their last song came out. 2021 i could be wrong i'm looking at that now nope 2022 near new era so it's been a year uh since their last song came out this one is called talk what'd you think you know i think ever since they the they blah, 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 excuse me mm-hmm. so we ended up uh listening to them i'm a huge fan i really liked them when their first album came out um they kind of got poppy and I think that was because they did this acoustic set on the Bachelor pad or something along those lines, one of those dating shows, and uh, played a song. And, and to me, I like the song. I like this song, but this seems to be a little bit more you softer. You think they lost their way? No, no, because I think this goes back to when we talk about do you, do you sell out or do you buy in? Mm-hmm. And you always have to transition that sound throughout a decade's worth of time. Um, I think it's just one of their lighter songs. I think it's going to get a lot of people that – don't necessarily enjoy heavy rock uh, interested in their album, at least the new one. I think this single does. What do you think? Well, so their first album, um, their, their first self-titled album, you know, Invincible, uh, Scream, um, All Falls Down. I mean, you've got a few songs on there. Yeah. Great album, right? And then... My favorite album is Homeschool Valedictorian. Yep. Uh, great name to an album. Yeah. Right, 2011. Perfect to to an album. Uh, I saw them back in 2011 uh, on stage, uh, front row. They were unbelievable. Were you, were you at the House of Blues? No, I, I wasn't. Okay. I saw them in I saw Missouri. Them in, saw them in Missouri. Okay. Um, they were unbelievable uh, back then. And, and Rick and the guys were like, I mean, you knew their career was going to take off. Yeah. Um, then they put out... Uh, Notorious in 2017, uh, they did uh, an album. Actually, that back up a second. They did Stuck in 2014. That's a great album. Yeah. Okay. Still, Homeschool Valedictorian, still my favorite. Stuck, second favorite album. But after that album, and after they did Notorious, which is uh, Vibes came off that song, I think, this is just me, they changed their, they changed the way they produced music. Okay. It went, again, like you said, yeah. a little more pop, less rock. I would like to see them get back to their days where they did criticize. Yeah. Right. Um, and sick and cage the beast. Right. I'd like to see them get back to that. Good song. I put built for radio, great flow to the song. Chorus has a nice hook. 
I think I think I think it's going to get played. Right. Sure. Absolutely. Built for radio would play over and over and over again. Sure. People will like it. It's got a good hook. They'll sing along to it. Yeah. And look, if you're an artist and you want people to sing along to your song and request it a lot and it's in their head and that can certainly get stuck in your head. This is going to do it. it. It will do it. Right. Is it getting back to the roots? I don't think they're selling out. I just think they changed the way they did music. I would like to see them get back to some of that harder stuff, but that's. Okay. So the second one we have is our old. Uh, and this week I chose, you could choose any one of their playlist to go by, but, and I think you would agree. I agree. We're both fuel fans, aficionados and fans. Yeah. Love the band. Um, love the old fuel, the old fuel, the, the newer stuff is whatever, but you know, the stuff from, let's say 1998, 2000, 2000, what? One, two, three. Um, the album Sunburn, yeah. the title track from that album. It's amazing. You've got everything. You got slow, you got fast, you got a little bluesy, you got a rock and roll. Uh, this is in my Walkman when I was playing <laughs> basketball. Okay, this is what I'm thinking of. When we when you said, I'm going to do this song, I was like, all right, I'm in the back of those old- Was it your sport Walkman? Yeah, it was. You know, the one the where- one? Yeah, the, the black the and yellow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I ran with that thing. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe I did. Um, but it skipped. So you had to you had to be careful. Yeah. Well, that was the first time they came out with uh, like it, it's an impact that, shock. Impact. Yeah. Like yeah. that was the first time. So yeah. Yeah, I this is what I was thinking about when you you brought me all the way back. I mean, so I appreciate it. Sh- no problem. Bittersweet, Shimmer, Sunburn. Shimmer's in my top ten oh, all time. Such a great song. Uh, hemorrhage. I mean, Hemorrhage off the next album. You know, th- th- their next album. <laughs> you could you could chew your food. It's, it's so good. Yeah, it's so good. Um, we uh, he's eating praline pecans, um, and and then you got natural selection, which million miles falls on me. Oh my god, falls on me. Falls Such on a me. Good song. I mean, and then after the see, I, and I liked it when Torn Green was with um, and they did the Angels and Devils album, Gone. Um, Wasted Time, uh, Scars in the Making. One of my favorite Fuel songs is oh, Scars in the Making. Wait, 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 wait. You didn't even say what song we're doing. Yeah, I did. Sunburn. Sunburn. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Sunburn. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, it just gives us a chance to talk about Fuel in general. I know. Right? Such, I mean, it's a great band. Sunburn, again. Yeah. Solid. Yep. That song, I, yep. I'd listen to it. It's one of those things you. You you're you're gonna walk out of the house and you're just like I'm getting this is me today thirty six year old Ryan I put the song it goes in my AirPods because I don't have a Walkman anymore and I'm just like here's my coffee and we're just gonna cruise on it over to work I, I, it's a good choice for t- it's a good choice for old it reminds us of what rock and roll was back in the in the late nineties early two thousands and how it transformed the the industry yeah and what we have now i think fuel was one of those bands you could say default was one of those bands you could say goo goo dolls if you want maybe i don't know that's a that's one of those pop rock you know border border <laughs> bands um pearl jam all of those yeah. right in that that genre that that time period ushered in everything we have now so i think it's i think it's a good old choice agreed Third song is an unknown, uh, and this week it's the only. Re- this is the second week or two out of three weeks we've done a a band where it's only had one song released, right? And this is a band called Line So Thin, and the song is "Done with Everything." If you don't, you can find it on iTunes. You can find it on Spotify. Um, it was quick to 
to get downloads. I mean, they went in a, I think in a week they had 6,000 subscribers on YouTube. That is fast. Unbelievable. And I'm going to tell you, this is my favorite of the three, mm-hmm. but I think you had a good synopsis of what they sound like because I go, I think I've heard of these guys before. And you're like, no, yeah, no, no. Impossible because they just, they just released their only song. So if you look at our <clears throat> Facebook play it loud page, um, which is at play it loud. Um, I think it might even be play it loud podcast, but it's, it's play it at play it loud on Facebook. Um, also on TikTok, also on YouTube, um, and soon to be Instagram. I said, imagine if you equal, uh, took equal parts, Daughtry, any given sing, catch your breath, fame on fire and rain city drive, put them in a blender. You get these guys lines so thin and their debut, debut release done with everything. Enjoy. So I posted the music video or the lyric video. It's not a music video, but it's a lyric video. Uh, to that, and if you haven't heard it, um, I said, you haven't. Let's be honest, you haven't heard it. Go check it, it out. Probably not, right? Right. Um, and we're all about on this podcast. We are all about bringing you information or bands that you may not have normally heard. Right. I've mentioned a few in the past few podcasts, and you're probably like, I haven't ever heard of that band. Go check them out, because you know, as we had a conversation with our guest coming up. Um, sometimes you find really great bands like his in unusual places and they may not be a nationwide band. They might not be a household name. They might not even be from the United States. They might be a overseas band. They might be from Wales or the UK or Australia or Sweden. Um, some of the bands that we featured recently on our podcast, go find them. They're all doing great music. You don't have to be just from, you know, you don't have to be Nickelback. Nothing against those guys. I mean, I love fucking Nickelback. They're one of my favorite bands. Or Shinedown or Breaking Benjamin or Disturbed or any of those bands to get airplay. Go listen to these guys. It's worth a listen for sure. Absolutely. Okay. So when we put this podcast together many months ago, when we finally started it in January, our goal was to bring you, as I said, some maybe lesser known bands. And again, when I said that to this this individual um, during the interview and you'll hear it, I said, no disrespect, but you, you know, that's what we're trying to do is bring the lesser known bands here. And he's you're said, not no selling disrespect. out yeah. arenas at this stage. Correct. Yeah. Um, they're going on their first North American tour with smash into pieces, um, next month. And we got a chance to sit down with Jake Sakura from citizen soldier. They're based in Salt Lake city, Utah. And, um, I will just say that the, the opportunity to sit down with him and have a, a really open discussion about a lot of issues uh, was fantastic. I, it, it it was one of my favorite things to do in a long time. And he's a really honest and open guy and easy to talk to and real. Yeah. And so I think people will uh, will enjoy it. What? Any any thoughts before we yeah no get I, over there? I think I think when you sit down and you're going to do an interview with a band, you always you have this idea of what what it's going to actually look like, sound like. And, you know, with Jake being in the mental health profession as well, besides being uh, the lead singer, uh, it was great. It was a great, honest conversation, like we talked about, about a lot of different things, what the industry looks like, mental health within the industry, within their own band. Um, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to open up a lot of doors and kind of open up your mind on what, what's, what bands are going through. And what they have to deal with on the on the business side. So, yes, sir. So, without further ado, here's uh, here's our interview with Jake Segura from Citizen Soldier. So, we have Jake Segura from Citizen Soldier with us today. Thanks for uh, joining us, Jake. Appreciate your time. 
Uh, I'm Rich. I'm He's Ryan. Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. So I want to go through a few facts uh, about your band. Um, would it be safe to say that you are pretty much known on the west coast of the, the United States versus the entire United States, or is it you're all over the world, you just haven't toured? Uh, you know, it's it's funny. The, the challenge we're seeing right now, booking our first tour, is um, the pre-sale numbers for tickets aren't quite where you'd want them because people are so spread out, um, which is a great problem to have for streaming, right? But, you know, it's, uh, it's a challenge for touring because it's not like we have this really strong hold over the Midwest or over the East Coast of the United States or the South or part of the UK. Um, you know, our, our strongest streaming country is the United States, but closely behind that are the UK and Germany. So, you know, that following, I would say, is pretty equally spread out um, all from, you know, all over the United States, Canada, um, all over the UK. And, you know, there's also a really strong following in Brazil. So it's pretty equal throughout those parts. So you guys were formed in 2016, fact? And then I'm just going to run through a few um, specifics for your band, for the people that uh, don't follow you that closely. For the people that do, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, Of course, right. Uh, 2017, you guys released the EP Caroline. Uh, 2019 released your first album, Relentless, correct? Correct. 2020, there's going to be a trend here every year. Uh, 2020 released Down the Rabbit Hole. 2021 released part one of This Is Your Sign. So far, so good. Mm-hmm. 2022 released part two of this is your sign and late last year 2022 you released scarecrow correct correct yeah. got it uh their music video for would anyone care exceeded the million mark on youtube congratulations um and then you followed that with the success of i'm not okay and as of january 2023 you guys had 800,000 monthly streaming on spotify Congrats on that. That's, uh, that's huge. How, uh, how have you progressed from a band from 2016 to now? What's the biggest thing that you would say we've grown to here because of whatever situation, whether you're starting to tour, uh, to the North America or what's the impetus for, for your progression as a band from 2016? Oh man, as a band, um, I, th- I think the live side of it is where we're seeing the most growth right now. You know, we, we kind of fell into a, an I prevail-esque situation, not on that scale, obviously, but where, you know, back in the day, people would pound the pavement and go tour in different markets until they got a record deal. And then they were able to release music and stream and do all those things. And, you know, it, it's been kind of backwards for us. You know, we, we put out that first EP. And for me, it was just a passion project. It was not supposed to be, uh, a full-time job, a career. It wasn't the, the vision I had. Um, definitely didn't believe in myself enough at the time to think that was even possible. And so, you know, our demand quickly exceeded our supply as far as the live show. And with that never being something I really wanted to do full-time or planned on doing, um, you know, I've had 10 years, a decade at least, of terrible singing habits that, that I, I'm still trying to to unlearn and to rewire the neural pathways in my brain to do that right because and i could speak for hours on the mental and emotional toll that's taken on me you know the pressure of people love these songs go do it live 
you know, go show them that you're real, that you're not this bedroom band that just cranks out songs and doesn't actually perform, you know, not real musicians. And um, with so many bands now um, just cranking the master vocal live and lip syncing with it or singing along with it, um, I mean, that's, that's becoming standard in the industry. That's becoming normal. And so it's becoming less and less normal for bands to actually have live vocals at their shows. And so, you know, it's a lot of pressure to get up there and um, perform with other bands. And I'm not talking about any of the bands we're touring with in the near future because they do it the right way. But, um, you know, like, how do you compete with perfection? How do you compete with a master? You know, it, it's hard. You know, the mental toll it takes to, to know that your performance is going to be flawed and it's going to have, you know, it's, uh, it's cracks in it. But I think that all of that has really forced us to come together as a band and really believe in each other as musicians and trust each other as far as putting in the work. And, you know, we had a conversation where we sat down and, um, you know, we were really determined to not take the easy way out on this and to really do it live and to really make sure we can give a real performance, even if it's not perfect. And so, you know, I think that the, the effort everyone's put in from the tech side because um, we're an independent band and we don't have a label helping us out with all of the technology that comes with putting on a live show and doing it the right way. Um, you know, people in the band stepping up and just learning things and figuring things out and, you know, people just making sure that when they show up on that day to rehearse, they're ready to go. And no one will ever know the, the toll that's taken, I think, on each member of the band mentally and emotionally. So I think that's something that we're really proud of and excited to share with people. You brought up a good point about getting yourself ready, getting your voice ready. I've always wondered that. I've been going to concerts since I was, you know, this big. And I always wondered how bands could belt out for two hours or an hour or 45 minutes or whatever they're allotted and then come right back the next night and do the same thing all over again, night after night after night, you know, 15, 20, 30 times on a tour. And one of the things I learned was from one of your favorite bands, Alter Bridge, correct? Yeah. Um, I got, I got a chance to meet Miles Kennedy and he was explaining to us that, um, he doesn't talk during the day. Like when he's got a show, he saves his voice. Is that pretty common among most vocalists? It can be. I mean, your, your vocal reserve, the amount of like your tank of gas, as far as the way it's been explained to me, it, it is what it is. And whether you're talking or singing, like whether you use a lot of it in the morning and very little at night, once you run out, you run out, you know, and, and talking can lower that reserve just like singing can. So you do have to be careful. And it's hard, you know, because I, I've worked with people who they front bands and they, they're freaks of nature and they can wail for two hours every night and they're drinking and they're smoking and they, they just make it work, man. And, but I think that's becoming more and more rare. I think that I've had to do a lot of what Miles has had to do. I've, I've seen that same, I mean, I've heard that same thing from him in interviews and, you know, I'm, I'm not here to, you know, sink into a lot of woe is me, but, you know, on tour, it's probably going to be a lot of me sitting in silence all day. You know, it's not just leaving your families. It's, um, you know, sitting in silence all day, Walmart parking lots, um, and, uh, you know, really, really long days and late nights all for that, you know, half an hour of, of ecstasy on stage. And, and the best part of all of it, being able to talk to people afterwards and hear their stories and connect with them and actually put, you know, faces to the names and to the comments. And so, you know, 
yeah, you know, Miles has talked about how it's hard to avoid depression on tour. And, and that's something that, you know, I have two vocal coaches and I have a therapist that I'm seeing right now because we are so, um, we're being very cautious of um, not just the technical side of it and the physical side of it, but the mental toll that can take of, you know, just sitting in silence for six weeks. You know, it, it's not easy. You mentioned you were you're doing all of that for the fans. So sporadically, what I want to sprinkle in here is some fan feedback for you. Um, I think it's important for bands to, to hear, and, I, and I'm sure you get emails and I'm sure people message you and I'm sure you see that all day long. Um, so I got onto one of the Facebook pages. You might be familiar with it. It's called, um, let me just make sure I have this right. Citizen Soldier Militia. I don't know if you know yeah. that, that group, but, um, I was able to pick out a few, uh, pieces of feedback. I'm not going to give their last name. I'm just going to give their first name for, um, cause some people like to be private, but, um, Haley writes, hi, I'm new to the group, relatively new to uh, citizen soldier. I've been listening to them for about a month now. It really helps me with my mental health. I found them while scrolling through Facebook reels. I've become obsessed with their music. I'm actually considered getting a tattoo of their logo. What do you think? When you hear something like that, and we'll get into the logo later. That's a question I want to ask you. But how does that make you feel as a as a as a band member and as a person in general? Um, you know, it's it's a really really sacred trust, and it's really easy to get caught up in all the details, the everyday things that have to happen to keep the machine moving, and it's easy to become kind of desensitized and numb to those comments. That sounds bad, but that's the truth. You know, it, it's really easy to just get so stressed and overwhelmed with the next thing you have to do that you really miss out on that. And, you know, what a what a shame it would be to get to the end of our careers and not enjoy, you know, really what drove it in the first place, which is comments like that. You know, people who are going through something that feels so difficult to explain, so impossible to articulate, but for some reason, our music is doing that for them. You know, that's that's a really sacred trust. And the fact that they're trusting us to do that for them moving forward, um, you know, that's a big responsibility and something that, so, you know, I, I, I hear that and I, I'm i trying to be better about being mindful and, and just taking time to let it soak in and feel the emotions and appreciate it and, and sit in that gratitude for a minute. But I also, you know, it just drives me, you know, it just wants, it makes me want to get to my piano or get to my guitar and, and get going for the next record. You've, uh, you've gone on record and saying, um, even if you do a Wikipedia search that, uh, and I'm paraphrasing citizen soldier represents the regular person and the battle that everyone's fighting that people don't see. Um, so a lot of the comments that I see sprinkled throughout the internet of, of the feedback that you're getting is because of people's personal trauma. Um, take us through your background. I know your first song that you wrote was, um, out of some personal trauma, I'm assuming. Um, and, and take us through that journey of from where you were to where you are now and why your music is so much based in, um, you know, therapy and mental health. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. People always ask us what the triangle means, the logo that we have. Mm -hmm. it, it, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> um, we just thought it was cool at the beginning of the band, but it, you know, I thought about like, what would I say if, like, what do I wish it meant? You know, like, what is it, what do I want it to mean? And what's been kind of cool is as we've grown, um, it's shifted from one point of the triangle, which was writing about my personal trauma, which is tied to, you know, originally being hospitalized uh, for a mental illness and wanting to, to do something that 
help that experience feel productive and conducive to growth and positive change. And, you know, after that, it kind of moved to that next point of the triangle where all of a sudden we were creating this dialogue where, oh my gosh, there's so many people that are feeling a similar way and don't have a space to talk about it. And, you know, that's what I started writing about. You know, some days I wake up and I take care of my daughter and nothing that interesting happens and I go to bed. You know, if I only wrote about personal experiences, I'd run out of things to write about. You know what I mean? Um, sometimes life just gets a little bit routine. So it's really important that we listen to the people who are supporting us and that their stories become a part of the songs as well. So that's kind of become, um, you know, songs like uh, My Little Secret uh, came from a barrage of emails I was reading about uh, victims of sexual assault feeling afraid to come forward because of people in positions of power that had hurt them and what the repercussions would be for them disclosing what had happened to them. You know, there, there's... Um, there are a lot of examples of songs like that. And the third point of the triangle has really become um, clinically focused and driven. You know, as um, I kind of recovered from what I went through and the band was kind of getting off of its, getting up on its feet, um, I started working in residential treatment programs. I fell in love with working with youth on the autism spectrum. I got to rub shoulders with therapists working in that setting. And that's what led to me wanting to be a therapist. And you know, as I've started my practice now and I'm in my private practice, um, that's a wealth of information. And, you know, obviously um, you got to be careful telling people stories um, and protecting their, their privacy, but themes come up, patterns come up. And, and it's really easy to identify, well, a lot of people are feeling this way. You know, I had a, a client come in that told me that um, basically I, you know, I, I wouldn't still be here if it weren't for my kids. And it's like, I'm just being strong for somebody else all the time. And I had that title, Strong for Somebody Else, written down in my notepad for months. And, you know, ended up going to Nashville and we, we wrote a song about it that's on our next record that I think is one of the best songs we've ever put out or will ever put out. Um, and there there's so many people who feel that way. You know, there's so many people who feel like they're just grinding away at life because they feel some responsibility to somebody else and they've totally lost fulfillment on a personal level. And that's such a brutal way to live. And that's something that needs to be talked about so that people can find ways to get help and get out of that. Um, so, you know, that's my really long winded way of answering, you know, that's kind of how the band has evolved is from my personal experience to, um, you know, expanding that to the fans and to people that I see in therapy every day, because when people ask me, what is citizen soldier, what makes them, um, different than any other active rock band, I say citizen soldiers group therapy led by an actual therapist. How was how, I think that's Oh, sorry, go ahead. You're fine. I was, I was dropping up. Um, no, I was going to ask uh, your process for writing songs. You had said early on in another interview that uh, you had wrote songs and you had said, ah, these are not that great, but they're getting better. Who were you bouncing those songs off of to kind of get feedback? Was it the band? Was it other professionals? Um, you know, my network has grown. We we went to LA and did some songs with Howard Benson, which was really good for us because he he really um, he, he made some really valuable connections for us to some songwriters that um, that I uh, you know it's funny we almost signing a deal was probably the best decision we ever made as a band because we were really close to signing something and um, 
during that process, I, I kind of got sent to writing boot camp. This was right after the Down the Rabbit Hole record and before the This Is Your Sign record. And people kind of threw me around, man. I mean, I, I wasn't used to um, people being so harsh when it came to my ideas and, and shooting things down. But I think that it really helped me learn to know the difference between standing your ground on something you really believe in and also being open to hearing perspectives outside of your echo chamber. You know, I have kids email me every day about, you know, what's your recommendation for songwriters? And I was like, go write with everyone better than you in your town, in your city, in your state. Like, check your ego at the door and ask them what they think about your stuff. And don't ask them hoping they're just going to tell you it's awesome because you gain nothing from that, you know? And so I, I think that process really humbled me as a writer, but it also helped me know, you know, you're going to have songs like would anyone care where I was the only person in the band that thought that song was any good, you know, and now it has 16 million views on YouTube. Did you have to challenge so, everybody and say, Hey, no, I want this one on the record. Yeah. Yeah. There are songs where, um, there are songs where I really have to put my foot down. And then there are songs where I don't believe in them. Our second biggest song I'm not okay was one that was just kind of on the shelf. And I thought it was maybe a B side someday on some record, but our bassist Juanita would just not leave me alone. He's like, this song needs to be cut. We need to do this song. And so I did it just to humor him. I mean, Let It Burn was the same way. I didn't want to put that song out. I didn't think it was great. And the band really liked it. So, you know, I think that uh, as um, the band has grown, roles have evolved a little bit more in a defined way. I think now, like, I'm the CEO of songwriting, for lack of a better term, where I feel like people will, they trust me when I have a strong opinion about something, but obviously we're all still a team and we're talking about songs as a band, but yeah, you know, it's just, it, it's different. And, um, you know, sometimes, um, like I'll take a song, someone I really respect is, uh, Josh Landry. His artist name is low spirit. Great artist. Go check him out if you haven't had a chance to, but he's someone that, uh, um, I'll send feedback to, and I know he'll give it to me straight. And, and he, he knows that I'll, uh, I'll do the same for him. And it's really important to, I think, um, there's a DBT skill, dialectical behavioral therapy skill called radical acceptance, where if someone gives you feedback, even if you don't agree with it, you try to sit with it and think about it. And maybe think of something you could pull from the feedback, even if most of it you think is bogus, could you could improve with or it could benefit you. And so whenever I get feedback on a song and they're like, man, this chorus is just not doing it for me. You know, instead of having this immediate defensive response, you know, learning to really be mindful and sit with that feedback and think about, you know, are there ways to improve this and and not just rush to a judgment on that feedback immediately. So it's, it's, it's a lot of things that go into it, but I think the most important thing is just humility. You mentioned Josh uh, Landry. You actually, your band is the reason I, I got turned on to uh, Catch Your Breath because he produced a song um, shame on me for them. And then he produced Scarecrow, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. And then there was one other time, and I want to get your feedback about working with, um, like other bands you, so two part question. Um, you toured with Adelita Sway back in the day. Uh, I understand is that if that's correct back in Idaho, like three to four shows, right? Yeah. Right. Small, 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 uh, venues or small, um, period of time and then um you wrote a song with um loveless called worst in me 
And that turned me on to them and their song, Middle of the Night. So tell us how it is working with other bands and what that experience is. Because you mentioned, you know, your inspiration for songwriting and people telling you good, bad, and different. Do you throw ideas out to those guys as well and say, hey, give me some feedback. Give me some honest feedback. What works, what doesn't work. So working with other bands, what is that like? Yeah, you know, I think that creating an ecosystem of, of bands that you care about and trust is really important as an artist, especially when you're independent, because a label will kind of do that for you, right? But, um, you know, with with whether it's Loveless or Low Spirit, or we, we have a collab coming out on the 15th with a band called Royal Bliss that's also from Salt Lake City. Um, you know, it's you cannot underestimate the power of networking in this world. You know, um, Josh... Um, I think Josh, if he wanted to, I don't think he ever will, but I think Josh could be up there producing and writing with any of the best rock producers in the country. Um, he's done a lot of work that has been stolen from him and discredited from him wow. by bigger names. And so um, and it's, it's crazy. It's like you, you, you feel crazy because people don't know, but um, you know a lot of things that they don't. But the point is, um, we never would have known that. You know, he was just a writer in Atlanta that wrote on some tracks that our producer Kyle Odell had done. And I was like, who wrote this song? You know, whenever I heard a good hook, I was like, who did this? Like, I always wanted to know who created this, this chorus hook, who did this? Because at the end of the day, like, that's the talent. You know, I think you can find a lot of really good mixing engineers and you can find really good, you know, just engineers in general, but the person who can make a great hook or make a great song is so valuable. And so, you know, we, we flew out to Atlanta just to write some songs with him. And that was expensive. And it led into this relationship where now we have this collab with him and he produced our next record that's coming out this year. Josh Landry also produced that one. Um, and, and we think it's our best record yet. So, you know, um, whether it's Loveless or, or Low Spirit or Royal Bliss taking us out on the road because, you know, we've helped them with some social media stuff and they're taking us to the Midwest, which is a market we don't have access to. Like when you don't have a label, you kind of have to create your own. And the only way you can create your own is by working your butt off and showing other people that are like-minded in a similar position that you can add value to the team, you know, that you're worth their time. And that's kind of what we've had to do. You've been quoted as saying, and, I, and I'm directly quoting from you, there's a lot of talented people out there who don't have a career in the field that they love because they're not willing to put in the work. Um, you said that a couple of years ago. Can you expand on that just as far as it pertains to people listening to their music or to your music and um, what they should take from that. Man, I disagree with old Jake. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, uh, I'm not sure what the context was. Um, you were being interviewed. Um, so you just, you said it as a probably throwaway comment, but. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and obviously I think both can be true. I think that um, there are obviously talented people who just don't have the work ethic. I think that probably happens. Um, you also see like you go to Nashville and you see some of these artists and you're like, man, like th this guy can play circles on a guitar around anyone in active rock, you know, and he's playing some bar on Broadway, but um, you know, you, you got to find the right opportunity and you have to find the right songs. Like at the end of the day, what makes a band is the songs and you have to have great songwriting, you know? Um, so I don't know, you know, I, I think I've come to appreciate um, that there's a lot of, privilege involved in, in this industry as well you know um money talks when it comes to tours and when it comes to 
uh, label association and collabs and connections. Um, I mean, I think it was an artist we reached out to about a collab that wanted, I think, 250,000 for, for a collab. I mean, just, I mean, obviously something that we, we can't provide. Um, and so it's just one of those things where you can either sit around and, and complain about how unfair the industry is um, and kind of quit on yourself, or you can just find, you know, hustle and find ways to grow. Like our bassist, Juanita, he was the one banging my head against the wall saying, make some freaking TikToks, man. Like, go make some TikToks. And um, that led to one of our biggest songs. And, you know, that's really helped us get some exposure that otherwise we just never, um, never would have had. And we've done some, you know, we're super big nerds when it comes to data. And we've tracked some of these bands that we know are buying onto these big tours, big tours. We're talking about opening in stadiums, right? Opening in amphitheaters. And there are some that we have seen, uh, and this isn't a flex. I mean, we want everyone to win, but it's just, you know, we need to know how important touring is. We've seen weeks and months where our TikTok growth um, on streaming platforms um, dwarfs any growth that happens from that kind of touring. And there's a lot that goes into that because touring brings in t-shirt sales. There's other revenues. It's still important, right? But it's just crazy how um, the industry is changing. And if you don't jump on those changes right when they happen, you're going to get left behind. And so I think that um, the music industry is requiring more and more that artists um, be better businessmen and women and that they have that business mindset because I just don't know how you do it anymore without that. You know, you really have to have that kind of mentality in order to be able to survive. I'm not sure if that answers the question, but that's yeah, what comes to mind. I, I think it does. Uh, we've had a we've had a podcast recently about uh, touring and about bands that have to pay the venues a percentage of their merch sales. And a couple, there's been some pushback recently from some bands saying, "Well, wait, wait a minute, you don't give us a percentage of your alcohol sales." Are we going to see more of this collaboration with the uh, the venues and the bands, or do you think there will always be the venues kind of holding it over the band's head, saying, "Listen, we're providing this for you. Uh, you're pretty much going to do it what we say." Was it Martin Luther King that said something about power never being given up willingly, or control never being given up willingly? I um, think we found that the last know, couple of years to be true, right? I mean, that's uh, it, n- never, never more true than the last few years. And um, and he's right. I mean, the expenses, and you were, I think you were kind of getting into that. The expenses on going for going on tour, and you're probably experiencing them now, are huge. Yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> what's crazy is. Um, and, and it's pretty nuanced with the venues. You know, I think there are probably venues that um, if we had transparency on what they're netting every night, there there would be uh, musicians refusing to play. Like it would cause widespread um, backlash. And there are probably venues that are just really trying to stay in business. Like uh, I think both can be true because, you know, with the state of the economy right now, life is expensive for everybody, Right. So I don't think it's necessarily responsible to bring out the pitchforks for venues, um, for all venues. But I do think that um, how amazing would it be if we had a culture of transparency where, you know, the venues had a printout of, of where all the money was going? Like, I say this all the time. If, if the music industry, if labels were required to do that, to show um, what the CEO of the label's making on down, 
down to the singer who's $60,000 in debt in their record deal, struggling with addiction, and can't doesn't have a penny of savings. They're 45 years old, suicidal. Like, this, this industry literally creates um, suicidal ideation and depression, mental health challenges. You know, I, I think that I don't want to be insensitive in talking about Chester, but I'm really passionate about it. Um, it, it was really interesting to watch people parade his death around that contribute to a, a system that I think really did not help his situation at all. You know, there are guitarists in 80s bands, hair metal bands that we look, looked up to growing up that are probably going to end up being Walmart greeters um, when all is said and done because they don't have a penny in savings. You know, they don't have retirement. They don't have... Um, investments for the future, planning on the fact that, you know, you're not going to be playing these shows after you're 50, 60 years old. You know, not everybody is John Bon Jovi. Yeah, right. so, we're, we're laughing you know, at each other because we, we've been debating about doing a podcast about when is it too, when do you stop touring? How old as, is too old? Right. How old is too old? Well, no, and you know, you know what's crazy is we're, we're talking about, um, like we're excited about, we have two tours in the Midwest and we have one um, all over the country this year. And we're like, maybe next year we don't tour at all and we just do live streams. And I, I told my drummer, Kyle, I was like, how long do you think it would take us to make what we make on the road? Like to match what we're going to make this year doing live streams. And he's like, oh, probably the first show. Oh, geez. And, wow. he, you know, and we're talking about um, 50, 60 shows um, all over the country. So, you know, it, it, it takes a toll. And for us, it's not a much, as much about the money, the touring side, you know, we're, We've been fortunate to really try to grow a robust streaming foundation so that we aren't like putting strain on our families when we go on the road. But our goal is to break even. We're not going to make any money on any of these tours. And I just think that, you know, going back to um, uh, the, the state of the industry and the venues and arguing about money and all that stuff. Um, my mom is a teacher and my sister is a teacher and there's this website this process we have here in utah called utah's right to know where in the whole school district you can see everyone's salary mm. and i'm like that is the most brilliant healthy smart way because you know even when people are feeling like they're being taken advantage of or things are unfair they can advocate for themselves you know they can band together if they need to they can unionize together it might not always work out the way they want but when there's transparency that's a great way to root out corruption but this is also and, talking about the public sector versus the private sector, right? Right. So there's, right. A, you know, I little. It's right. it's a little harder to tell public or uh, private companies to say, listen, we want you to go ahead and list out what you're making, what the percentage is, because then you get obviously into that um, that world of, oh, I don't think you should be making this much, right? And then it's like, well, it's my company, and I I, I think right. that's a tough it's a tough balance to have there. Um, and I think that, you know, you're totally right. I think that it, it's a pipe dream to have that kind of transparency across the board. I would just like a, a bit of that flavor in the music world. And I'm not sure what that looks like, but the issue is when you don't have anyone fighting for the musicians and, and they're just totally um, under the control of, you know, the machine, um, there's no HR department in the music industry. You know, there's no one that's going to come in and say this, what was done here was immoral and wrong and it needs to be fixed, needs to be corrected. So, you know, I'm not sure what the solution is, but um, I, I think that 
Um, people would be shocked to know that the musicians that they probably look up to is like, oh, they got to be millionaires or, you know, they got to be killing it, driving Ferraris, whatever. I know people who play sold out shows that, again, they don't have a retirement account. They don't have a penny in savings. They're in their 40s. Um, it's just a really sad situation because um, I, I don't think we've done a good enough job of advocating for ourselves and, and demanding more, which is why I think the independent thing is just going to keep growing. I think people are just concerned about, hey, just feed me music. I don't care about you, the artist, as far as you're just you're making a ton of money. And I don't think what they realize is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but everything that I know about the music industry is you sign a, a, a label, right? You're a label signs you and you get an upfront stipend or whatever it is, uh, basically a loan, right? And then you go out and put your record together or your tour or whatever, and then they take their portion and they take their spiff. And if there's anything left, they take that out of your initial loan and then you get anything extra after that. And some people don't even make the initial loan, which is, I think, what you're alluding to. I think you had talked a lot about debt, too. A lot of bands have to take on debt in order to even start. It's the way I would frame it. And I don't want to say that musicians have no accountability. Like people are going to come at me and say, well, they're signing on the dotted line. They're responsible for that. Like, I think that's all true too, right? Like educate yourself, um, make smart, sound decisions, have a lawyer. But I also think there's something to be said for emotional manipulation and informed consent. Because when we were looking at signing something, I can't tell you how the dialogue was always, everything came back to you. And I had questions about, well, how is this fair? How does this make sense? How do we do this? It was always, do you want to be for real or not? Do you want to be a real band or not? Do you want people to take you seriously or not? So it was, if you don't sign this deal that I know could bury you in debt and ruin your life and probably affect your marriage, affect your family, if you don't do this, people aren't going to take you seriously. And I'm going to stop talking to you. That's what 90% of the manager conversations look like. And so um, that, there's that piece of it. And we're all these depressed kids that came up in rock that don't feel good enough. Like that is the rock star core belief, right? Like we want to be rock stars because we feel inadequate. And that's what a lot of our music is about. So um, I think that the other issue is informed consent. It's one thing to consent, but if you're consenting to something that you don't understand, like you're expecting these 18 year olds on TikTok that just popped off and they're sitting at the table with Warner Chapel or at BMG or whatever, um, you think they're really reading every word of that contract and really fully understanding what that means? Mm -mm. You know what I mean? It's just, we're going to sweep you guys in. We're going to have the big platter out for you. We're going to make you feel like kings for a day. And then you're going to sign on that dotted line because you're going to be so afraid of what life could look like if you don't. And, you know, it's in the issue in this power dynamic is it's in the person with power's interest, the label's interest, to have the other party be as ill-informed and uneducated as possible. Because if they really, truly understood what those agreements look like, a lot of people would get scared away from the table before anything was signed. So that's not informed consent, right? It's more coerced consent. Doesn't social media, though, isn't that the, isn't that the level, the playing field uh, component of this, right? So, like, you guys do a specific video for TikTok and Reels. It's you can't miss it. It's it's you in a booth, right? In a black booth, you're black and white. You're you're singing your song. You're streaming it into the microphone, whatever it is, and people recognize that and they go, "Okay, that's Jake. That's Citizen Soldier. I, I'm going to watch this. I'm going to I'm going to see what the next one is." They follow you. Social media is the 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 great equalizer because if you're an independent artist, there's plenty of them now. 
They just put their stuff out on social media. They put it out on their own platform, their website, and they make a ton more money than if they were to sign with a label. And if a label wants to sign them, it's on their terms now versus the label's terms, correct? Yes, you can get leverage that way. I, I won't name names, but I have a friend, um, someone I know, that um, they went from, I think, streaming-wise, making $700, 800 a month, not enough to live on, not even close, to um, it being a five-figure number a month from TikTok alone. Mm, wow. You know, so so I, I think that um, the smartest thing, like you said, is artists are in a position now where the gatekeepers have been removed. Like any second the gatekeeper to exposure into the audience is removed, artists have to hurry and run and just get as many people pulled in as they can. You know, for a minute, it was Facebook and Instagram. You remember those Facebook ads that were like, if you like shine down and five finger death punch, you should check right. out my band. You know, like that was a huge thing. That's how I found you. I, I honestly, that's how I found, I, I was, I was listening to another band. I scrolled down to the bottom of the iTunes. They said, listen to citizen soldier. I said, okay, mess of me came up. I listened to that and I was hooked and immediately. And I'm like, I got to find out what these guys are all about. And I spent probably two days just listening to your music over and over and over again. And I was like, these guys are great. How do they not, how are they not ruling the airwaves right now? And it goes all back into distribution. So, well, and you know, what's funny is, um, uh, there's, uh, those, like those ads don't work anymore though. Right. Like you don't see a lot of that on Facebook because Facebook and Instagram, um, I don't know if the labels got involved more like we want the algorithm, the algorithm, but with TikTok, you know, we're lucky we jumped on it when we did because it's not what it used to be. It's still solid, but um, you have to take those windows and just maximize every second. I mean, I remember feeling this immense amount of guilt for missing one day of posting because I was like, what could have been? Like, how many people could we have found if, if I had done that? And you never know when you're going to wake up and that app is going to be gone. And then it's like, hey, well, what's the next thing? Is it Twitch? Like, where do we go now? So, yeah, you know, I think bands like Jelly Roll is a great example of this. Um, and I don't know how much help he had along the way, but he he had some really big viral moments on YouTube, um, kind of like Teddy Swims as well, who's a friend of ours. He's awesome. Uh, yeah, he uh, we, we, we've gone hung out with him in his studio in Atlanta. He's a great guy. Um, but those guys went to the table and said, I've built an empire already. Like, I'm set for life. I don't need you guys. So, like, and I, I've heard, I don't, I don't know this for sure, but I've heard that what they were able to say is, okay, you're not touching our back catalog, which is unheard of, by the way. Labels mm -hmm. always want that. Um, but we're just going to go to radio, help us get to radio because we can't get there. And we'll just split everything 50-50 at radio. You make some money that you didn't have before and I make some money and that's all we do together. And label, like, how do you say no to that? You know, that's just free money for the label. So um, it's... Uh, it's about, you know, Juanita says this too. This is the third time I've quoted Juanita. I'm not going to hear the end of this. <laughs> but um, he always just jokes about, he's like, if you build it, they will come. And Howard Benson always talked about, you know, when you're doing things that really matter, the phone calls will start going the other way. And we've noticed that shift start to happen. You know, people are starting to reach out to us for collabs. Um, people are starting to reach out to us as far as opportunities about management or radio. So, you know, it's really about building something that, um, is big enough and sustainable enough that other people will take note and, and it'll give you leverage in those meetings to say, well, guess what? I don't have to take on your debt because that's one that that's always broken down. Every conversation we've had at the label is, Oh, how about this advance? And we're like, we don't want that. 
we don't need your advance because we we've built steady income through streaming mm -hmm. so why would we take on debt for no reason so you're going to give us debt that we don't need for what you know and so it's uh really great to come in um and to really focus on what you would need from that other party and to have enough leverage to be able to get it I want to read. Uh, I want to read another one of these for you. Um, this is from Jessica. She says, "I'm nervous about this, but I want to post publicly. I've been going through a really hard time since December 5th, in and out of the hospital with suicide, uh, suicidal ideations. I've had three suicide attempts in one month, and that was last month. And I try to find music that helps me feel better. I found this wonderful group, and Citizen Soldier has really helped me." Just by listening to him about mental health, I'm still really depressed, still a lot of anxiety. But when I feel the point of where I want to give up, I just listen to their music and it helps me feel better in the moment. That, that probably encapsulates why you do what you do, I'm assuming. Yeah, I, I mean, we played a show, I say recently, but it wasn't super recently, but we played a show at the Depot in Salt Lake and um, we had some really special moments at the merge table after you know, where it's like, there's this person that had been on our Discord server for like over a year, and she's like, it's me. You know, she told us her username, and then just like fell into our arms and was sobbing. And, and it's like you're meeting this pen pal that you've been talking to for forever, you know. And at, at the end of the day, like, that's the most powerful thing about what we're doing. Like, it's fun to write great books. It's fun to play shows. It's fun to do videos, like all that cool stuff. But at the end of the day, the group therapy part of it, like the idea that the kid in Indonesia that listens to our music, he may not have a crisis line he can call in his area. He may not have emergency services. Like depending on where you live in the world, all those resources for mental health aren't always available, but there's nothing more powerful than having someone else that you have something in common with, have them be willing to be there and listen to you, even if it's online. Like the fact that we're creating this network where people who are struggling with something can talk to each other, I think that's the most important thing we'll ever do because I personally can't respond to every message. I can't respond to every email. I can't be everyone's therapist. But if I can create this army of people all over the world where it's like, hey man, I know what that's like to not have like emergency services because I live in this country, uh, DM me, let's talk. Like that's my favorite thing to see in this band is when we, don't, we can't respond to something because we're drowning in comments or whatever. And someone's like, hey, hit me up if you need to talk. That, is the goal. That's great. And that is it, whether it's in your own practice or with some of the comments on online, what do you see as being the the biggest, the second one or two problems that kids are facing today? And do those come out in your writings, your recent stuff? Yeah. I'm going to need a second with that one. Um, and I don't, I don't work to clarify. I worked with youth a lot before I became a, a therapist. Now I typically work with adults. Okay. Adults. What's the target age of the people that listen to your music? Do you, do you know that? Do you guys do those? It's, uh, it's about 14 to 28, you know, it's, it's, teen, it's late teens and, uh, and young adults. Um, it's hard because I, I definitely have a biased lens. I work typically with trauma and I work with a lot of women. Um, I don't have a lot of male clients, but I would say from my time in residential treatment and working with you, um, you know, you know what I might say? Um, I think knowing 
how to truly feel connected to someone and struggling to know how to do that. You know, I, I think I, I've worked with a lot of um, people who think they are just at the mercy of this nasty addiction or habit or people who just think that they're evil or, or bad people for the mistakes they've made in their past and trauma and these different things. And, um, you know, I, I think people are really bad at, at giving themselves mercy and grace. Mm. You know, I, I think that it's really gratifying to help them kind of go back and connect the dots and be like, doesn't it make sense that you, I mean, like, we're not, we're not justifying what you did. We're not justifying what happened, but doesn't it make sense why you did that? Like, can you at least understand that and get that? And, you know, um, tying the dots of, you know, some of the things that have been done to them that are not their fault to behaviors and struggles they have now and reminding them, guess what? You're not broken. Like what I see in front of me, and I have this conversation all the time, what I see in front of me is how any normally functioning functioning human being would react to what you've been through. You are not broken. Do you this see through your, your do you see through your social through your um your patients and, and, and the people that contact you online, do you see an increase in the trauma with the introduction of social media? Because it seems to me that when I read the things online about I'm I have trauma, I have anxiety, I have all of these other things, suicidal ideologies, it's the um I'm, I'm trying to be very sensitive when I say this. It's like keeping up with the Joneses, right? So that person's doing a TikTok, so I have to do a TikTok. This person's on social media, so I have to live that particular lifestyle. And it gets the, the pressure so great to live up to this certain standard that they just feel like there's no way out. Well, you know what's interesting is I think that, um, like, <laughs> something I'm hearing a lot of adults gripe about around here is in Utah, there are places hiring everywhere. Uh, Del Taco is starting at 18 an hour in Saratoga Springs. Um, and they can't find people. They can't find mm -hmm. kids. And everyone's just like, kids just don't want to work. Kids are lazy. Kids are this, that. And I, I think that's unfair. Um, I think it's more complicated than that. But uh, a lot of people have the theory that, you know, everyone's pushing this get rich quick ideology onto TikTok into the world of here's how I made this much money this fast. And here's how I never worked a day job. Like, like the day job thing has been so shamed and stigmatized that everyone thinks they have to be a content creator. Like people can't just learn to trade and go work in a trade anymore. Like everyone has to be the next thing, you know? Um, and so there could be some truth to that where maybe like um, it's hard for people to be motivated to put the work in to get where they need to when they feel like they see so many other people getting to take shortcuts. Like that's gotta be frustrating, right? Like I can empathize with that on a certain level. Um, my, my biggest gripe with social media is pretty simple um, because people always talk about the never good enough factor with it. And I think that's relevant too. you know, seeing like you're always having the, the successes of others forced in front of you and it, nobody posts about their struggles. Like rarely people post about how they're killing it. And so all we're seeing is how great everybody else's life is. And we're like, okay, well, what the hell is wrong with me? You know, I can barely make rent this month, but what I really see being the biggest issue you know what, I'm going to circle back to this for the youth thing. I see way too many youth that are numb. that do not know how to let themselves feel, feel their emotions. Um, just desensitized. And I, and I think part of that is, you know, life is just a game of chasing dopamine in a lot of ways, right? Like, um, we're the desensitized generation because, you know, kids, when they hold their 
girlfriend panned or boyfriend panned or whatever, they don't feel anything anymore. You know, like the relationship doesn't do it anymore because we are getting dopamine dump trucked on us every day. These social media apps, I mean, TikTok is literally built on a dopamine release every every swipe, right? Every scroll. And so the goal is to just keep you going and going and going and going. And in order to keep the rat going in the maze, you got to leave cheese along the way, right? And so that's what I see happening is, is I think that when any person is getting too much dopamine release, the, the subtle but beautiful parts of life, like a beautiful morning or like waking up to the person that you love or your baby girl smiling um, uh, or just having like a really great meal or talking to someone that you've, you've missed, like that dopamine doesn't hit anymore because you've already upgraded to such a higher dose of that drug, you know? Um, so I think that when people spend five to six days or hours a day on screen time and they're just getting that dopamine just dump trucked into them, it's really hard for um, the more natural parts of life to feel meaningful. And so then you're stuck. Then you're reliant on that phone to give you everything because everything outside of it feels like nothing. You know, that that's what I see being a big problem now. And there's, we need to find a way to balance you know, people enjoying the good parts of social media, which is amazing for connection across the world without compromising people's ability to feel. Do you have any, so like we talk about the streaming services for bands, do you feel like you're contributing to part of that problem by posting these things then? Maybe, maybe we are. Um, but you know, I, I think that something that, that's a great question. And my favorite, um, just to give you a glimpse into my pride getting hurt and the human side of me, um, my favorite message, we'll get a message every now and then that's like, you guys are glorifying mental illness and you're, you're pushing kids to stay in it and all this stuff and you're, and you're creating suicidality and, and, and you know, whatever. Um, and, you know, my favorite, my response to that is always, um, I'm going to eat until I'm 400 pounds. And then I'm going to walk into McDonald's and I'm going to lecture them on making me fat, you know, as if I didn't walk in there and eat there for three meals a day for 20 years, you know, and it's not a perfect comparison, but I, I think we need to be mindful of what we're putting into the world. And I think we also need to um, make sure people are being held accountable for their choices and the content they choose to consume. You know, I am a huge advocate of having age minimums on social media. Huge advocate of that. I think that there are certain people who are young enough that their brains haven't fully developed and they can be really impressionable. And I think that's something that, you know, if we're not gonna let kids drive by a certain age, are we gonna let them have full access to all the ideas in the world? Um, I don't know, that's a conversation I think is worth having. But I, I think that, you know, when it comes to TikTok, if I'm watching too many uh, uh, TikToks about the news in the world, which I am guilty of all the time, um, I, I would never blame the content creator. I would say I need to have healthier boundaries on how much of this I'm consuming. And I need to, because, you know, I think if people went and only listened to our sad songs, yeah, I would not prescribe that for anybody, right? Um, you have to balance the validation with the empowerment. And I've had to explain this to my parents. It's funny, my mom one time, earlier on in the band, I remember she was like, this is like, this song is so dark and so sad. Like, you should write something happy. And I'm like, you know, mom, um, 
those happy songs are really important. Those like still breathing, stronger than my storm songs are really important. And they would just feel really preachy if we also didn't take the time to write songs that really get into the trenches and help people know that they are not the only ones who know how awful that dark place is. You know, um, when people go to therapy, they don't want someone to fix them or to tell them what they need to change necessarily immediately. I've seen that people, I mean, I spend probably the first four to five sessions just trying to learn everything about that person's life that I can. Because once they feel that I actually understand how messed up that situation seems to them and how complicated and, and challenging it's been for them, and I can empathize with that on a real level, that's when they're like, okay, I trust you. What do we, where do we go from here? You know, so uh, I think it's a, it's a two-part thing. We need to be responsible in making sure that on social media we're being advocates for therapy, which we're very strong advocates of, and self-help and, you know, things that can, can help curb suicide and, and depression. And I also think being real and honest about what it's like to experience those things so the people don't see us as just another voice telling them to get more sleep and exercise. Let's talk you about know, it. Let's talk about inspiration because um, I know we have you for for a little bit longer here. Um, let's talk yeah. about inspiration in your music. So, um, one of my favorite songs of yours is "Easy's Never Been This Hard," and I think that's a great title to a song because it's kind of the story of my life. Like everything I've done, I've had to work hard for. And people think, "Oh, it's," they see that you know that 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 picture where you've got the the peak over the water and then that huge mass under the water and they don't see the huge mass under the water that it took to climb up and, and get to that peak um so that's why i like that song but it it kind of gives me like 80s rock vibes so what are your inspirations when you're writing music and you're writing the the lyrics to those songs but you're listening to stuff all the time what are some of your favorite bands what are some of your inspiration um that that drives you to write the songs, whether they're melodies, whether they're sad songs, whether they're happy songs, or just rockers? Uh, it's pretty eclectic. Just like my therapy approach, it's just all over the place, man. I think um, I, at the beginning of the band, the feedback I got that really stung was, this is just so butt rock. <laughs> like, it feels very generic. And, um, you know, as I became a better writer, I really fell in love with just writing. And I think when you fall in love with writing, you start to appreciate the the Beavers and the Swifts and the, you know, the, the heavy hitters of the world because it's like, whatever, they're the face thing in the song, but this hook is genius. You know, this is so good. Like, who wrote this? I want to know who made this. And so um, an active rock, um, I think, does struggle with being different and being in uh being, you know, being able to get out of the box. Um, I think that rap and hip hop and, and pop, I think those genres are much better um, than rock and country at getting out of the box and doing things that are fresh and new. I think the only bands that are really doing that well right now are Dayseeker and Bad Omens. And I mm. think that's why they're doing so. Um, but I think that as I've grown to appreciate all those genres, like I, I'm not in my car listening to active rock hardly ever. Um, I listen to a lot of pop. Um, I listen to a lot of uh, uh, country. I was raised on country. I also listen to a lot of Christian music because I love some of their melody choices. I think they do really well with the big soaring melodies. I really love those. Um, so you see it in the music, you know, um, earlier on in the catalog, you see the band is kind of more just in that rock shell. And, and we start kind of opening up a little bit. You know, I, I think that on a 
Scarecrow more than any record, we kind of just said, let's throw this at everyone and just see what happens, you know? Because when we demoed out that Easy's Never Been This Hard song, I wrote that with Josh Landry in Atlanta that first mm-hmm. day I met him. And um, I remember leaving being like, well, no one's ever going to hear that one. It's really cool. <laughs> Somebody No did. one's going to ever hear that one. And it was like, why not? Like, it still rocks. Like, you can make anything hit hard. It's just, you know, it's, it's catchy and it's got, like, the guitars are more hooks than just walls of guitars like rock tends to do. And so... Um, to answer on a more like specific basis, though, I think the bands that I grew up really idolizing were the were the Alter Bridges, the Shinedowns, the Reds, um, Ten Years, mm. um, you know, Miles and Mark um, are, are are two of my favorite musicians because I think they uh, um, they made they made records that I just think sounded completely unique to anything I'd ever heard in rock, um, and. I love that their music was able to simultaneously make me fall in love with singing and guitar playing. You know, I was a guitar player before a singer. I wanted to play solos. I wanted to be Mark Tremonti. I have a Tremonti behind me on the wall. Mm. Um, so, I mean, I'm a huge fan of them, but I, I think as far as like just um, the gateway drug, I think that what first got me into writing was that eighties hair metal, like hearing that slippery when wet record first put into the radio and singing along to Bon Jovi and uh in, in journey and those bands and just falling in love with kind of the storytelling mm-hmm. that was there and that kind of slipped into the more current active rock stuff the grunge and uh it's just kind of evolved from there you guys are going on tour with smash into pieces um you guys are doing kind of a nationwide tour north american tour if you will um and yeah. one of the things when we started this podcast was we wanted to bring bands that people may not listen to in the mainstream into the mainstream, if, if we could possibly have a role in that at all. They're one of those bands. Um, you know, they're from Sweden. You know, they're huge overseas. Uh, we've been promoting them as much as we can on our podcast um, and communications back and forth with people who ask us questions. Um, do you feel you're kind of like they are, if you will, stateside as they are, you know, across the, the pond, so to speak? I do. I think that's why they reached out to us. Um, I, I think, and you know, we'll see. We, we, we've never talked to them personally, but um, I think that they probably have a strong touring market in the UK. And, um, you know, we have an opportunity to, to, to hopefully add some value with, uh, you know, the fact that this is our first big tour to hopefully pull some people out that have not, that have been waiting to come out for a while. Right. So, you know, we'd love to go uh, go over to their side of the pond and and play over there someday. I, I know it's uh, insanely expensive to try and get over there and tour, but it'd be fun to to head over with them as well. Yeah, there's another band um, that I preach to Ryan all the time, a band called Those Damn Crows, um, and they're like a shaman's harvest, if you will. If you if you know who they are, um, they've opened for Nickelback and a few other people. They're amazing. So if if anybody who's watching this doesn't know them. Um, I would say they're probably in your category as well. Big over there, not really well known here in the States, but they just released an album just like you guys did recently. Um, and all of you guys, I, I find that maybe the lesser known bands and I, and I don't mean no disrespect by that, but you know, you're not, you're not this, you know, headlining, you know, on big arenas yet. Okay. Um, but those bands sometimes have the best music. And they're the nuggets that you you find them and you go, wow, I'm going to listen to these guys. And that's how you grow because you build this fan base that finally 
realizes, oh, there's other stuff besides the mainstream bands out there, and that's how you guys grow. Fair assessment? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a fair assessment. You know, I I think um, you just have to be willing to try everything, to to just absolutely be open to all opportunities, and but also be smart. Because like I said, you know, the people in positions of power will always willingly take advantage of those that have less. And so you have to be really smart about, um, you know, who you're uh, putting your trust in. You know, we also talk about the longevity of a band's success, and it's kind of their ability to grow, pivot, and I don't, I don't want to say change their sound altogether, but definitely do something different, whether that's tour with uh, a country artist. You said you're into country or hair metal. Um, depending on what you like, do you guys see in each album you're tweaking something a little bit each time to – I don't want to say, because there's a lot of people out there that say, well, this band sounds like themselves the same time. And you're like, well, that's kind of what I wanted. But I think a lot of successful bands, the longer that they're in the industry, will just tweak something slightly throughout each album to kind of give them a new or a different sound. Do you guys see yourselves doing that? I I don't see it as much being like, oh, they really did. They have a country sound on this record. Like maybe maybe someday we'll do more things like that. Or man, this record has a lot more heaviness to it and a lot more guitar playing. Um, I could see that being the case down the road, but um, I think that something I heard, I saw a tweet the other day about Ronnie Radke from Falling in Reverse, and they talked about how good he is at making every re- release feel really important. And it really pulls everyone in. Like everyone's like, okay, what do you put out? Let's go listen, even if you don't like him, right? And so I think that with us, it's more what I'm trying to be mindful of is, you know, if, if every year, if every record is a chapter in, in the book of the story of our band, you know, how do we make this new one compelling and really stand out? Um, the theme for this next record that's coming out this year, I think is really powerful. And I, I think really does that well. Um, I also have some really ambitious ideas for, um, uh, doing some, doing an album, a concept album, um, that is really clinically focused on mental health disorders. And that would affect like the way it's listed in Spotify and, um, the way the songs are written. I mean, like, I, I think that having a theme, um, can be really helpful in keeping people engaged to a certain extent. I think people just want content. They just want songs, right? These days people are just kind of adding songs to playlists and that's what we're seeing kind of dominate the market at the moment. But I, I do think there's a hunger in rock for a compelling story. You know, it's not enough anymore to be five guys in leather pants singing about being sad. You know, it's just not, it's just not enough anymore. You know, you gotta be, you, you, you can't just be another bald dude that has a cool sounding uh, vibrato. It's just not enough. Like, how do you stand out? What makes you special? And so I think that the biggest thing for us that has helped us um, be relevant in that regard is I think that um, you know when we started the band everyone was telling us like stay away from the mental health thing like just be like you, you, you don't want to be pigeonholed into that you just want to be a rock band and that was the worst advice I've ever received like us doubling down on that and focusing on that is what makes us special and unique in our story and where I come from and you know like having some level of of credibility 
when it comes to talking about these issues, when it comes to my education and the work I put in there and my experiences there. So, you know, I think that as long as every record, uh, the quality of the songs is where it needs to be, and we find a different, unique way to share that story with the world, I think we'll be okay. Getting back to what Ryan said, his question, um, and your comment about Ronnie, uh, Ronnie over in Falling Reverse, the song that they just released, he's got a big rap, if you will, um, intro to that song. And he's yeah. like, look, we're not trying to change our sound, but this is something I've been following for my entire life. I love rap. I love listening to it. And so to that point, do you ever find yourself saying, we're not going to do a whole album on a, a change of sound, but we might do one song that might, we might just get out of our comfort zone and do X. Have you guys thought about doing something like that? Yeah. You know, I, and I think we're doing a lot of that on this record. Um, we have some rapping on this record, ironically, um, that, that I did. Uh, my brother's a rapper, a really talented rapper. And so being around him has kind of just had some influence on me. And I was like, I'll try this a little bit on the record. Um, what did he say when you rapped? Was he like, stop it? No, he, he, he liked it. Okay. Uh, it and it's, it's, it's tasteful and it's, it, it's put in spots that it's not overdone. It, it, it's like a Linkin Park-esque thing. It's, it's not me trying to take over an entire verse. It's more like pre-choruses or, or moments where, you know, it just feels like someone talking and it just being really emotional and real. Um, but I think that uh, um, what you said about Ronnie is really cool. And, and I think a lot of credit should go to Tyler Smith, who I think is the best producer in the country right, right now doing the falling in reverse stuff. I think he's constantly pushing boundaries on, on these bands and telling them like, let's do something just weird. You know, like that song, you don't really get to hear the chorus hook until you're like almost halfway, the song is halfway over already. Right. Which breaks all the rules, but it's, it's still more interesting. It's still more compelling. Like when I see falling in reverse pop up on my, my release radar, it's one of the few active rock bands. I'm still like, okay, I'll bite. I want to hear what you guys are cooking up, you know? So, um, and the best part I of that song that we, is it started half of it was, or three quarters of it was rap. And then they just went really heavy at the end. And you're like, fuck yeah. I mean, that to me, that's the sign of a great artist yeah. that can make that pivot and say, look, we're going to go out on a limb. And if you guys don't like it, we don't care. Cause this is what we like to put out. And I think the fans, well, I mean, it, it was number one. I think it was number one on octane. I mean, you just, Oh yeah. Successful. I mean, it's hard, it's hard because, um, I, I very much live in that needs to be seen as box. Like I, it, it's really hard to have people trust you to write on behalf of their experiences and not be afraid of messing up. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that's a, that's very natural. And so I think what I'm constantly battling is making sure that on every record we have songs where I'm like, yeah, I think this speaks to something that's going to really impact people. I think you're going to love it. Like, this is just a Citizen Soldier song. And then there's a song where it's like, I want to do this song because I want to do this song. And I don't care what anyone thinks. Uh, we have probably the poppiest song we've ever put out in our entire careers on this next record. It's a song called Fake Friends. And it's just something I was going through. I was going through a time in my life where I just was driving myself crazy, questioning what was who was real and who wasn't, you know, and people's intentions just confusing me and and, and really just wondering who I could trust. And, um, and it's just a, it's just a really poppy song full of a lot of dark humor, which is kind of my personality. And the thought process wasn't so much, well, man, how's this going to do? It was, th this was so much fun to make. What was the, you, know, you said you know, there was a theme coming out on this, this album. What, what's the theme? 
Uh, depends. When's this interview coming out? Uh, within the month. Yeah. So probably three weeks. Um, so end of March. Okay. So yeah, we should we should have announced it by then. But the the theme of the record the record's called ICU. And um, the the title track is basically a song that I wrote uh, for anyone who's ever been in the ICU mm. um, because they've been close to becoming a victim to suicide. Mm. And the, the album art is just this floating mask in a hospital bed um, in a blue room. It's kind of like a insert yourself here picture. And the the title has two meanings. You know, it's the ICU, the hospital, and it's also ICU. How is it spelled on the and, album? Is it mm-hmm. is it I S E E? Okay, oh, yeah. just the three letters. Got it. But um, you know, the the purpose of the record is we took like, um, we kind of went through everything I've been hearing, and I wrote on a whiteboard like, what are the biggest themes that are coming up, um, for people who are struggling that have been reaching out to us, and a few songs ended up being things that were coming up in therapy, like strong for somebody else. But, you know, um, we, we tackled things that we have in the past, like trauma um, or addiction. Um, but there are some new things that came up that felt important to address that have led to suicidality, like uh, faith crisis and religious trauma. Mm. Um, there's a song on that record called Good Enough for God that might be everybody's favorite song on the record, as far as the band is concerned. And for the first little while we were like, man, I don't know. I don't know a song about with the word God in it. I don't know. Like, and we're just like, screw it. Like who cares? Like this is something that affects real people. And if, if someone gets offended because they think that we're bashing religion or um, because they think that um, we're being too spiritual or whatever, like that's a good opportunity for them to, to build some empathy and to grow themselves because um I work with a lot of people who are going through faith crisis and it is some of the loneliest, brutal um, experiences anyone will ever go through in life, especially when your whole community is built around something that maybe you don't feel like fits you, but you're afraid you're going to lose your whole family and your whole world. If you say a word, Mm. that's a terrifying place to be. And so, um, you know, we have a lot of songs that we feel like um, are probably safe for us when it comes to, but, but they're, they're real when it comes to the topics they're addressing, but we have some stuff that we feel like um, steps into some more uncharted territory. We have a song about, um, uh, it didn't make the record, but we'll probably put it on as a bonus track that was probably the hardest song I've ever had to write because it's a it's about a client I had that basically it's taking the perspective of a child's sexual abuse victim, talking to a family member um, or an abuser and basically saying like, you're you're tied to me forever. Like you're, you're, you're basically a life sentence. You know, you, you'll never understand how what you've done to me is going to live with me forever. And, um, you know, that's something that a lot of people don't feel like is, is understood. And so, um, the record is really just this emotional roller coaster of, um, these, these different topics all over the board. Um, and I wish that I had my, uh, my track listing on me, or I could give you more specifics, but it, and it leads up to uh, the title track, which uh, when Josh was producing it, um, I remember uh, we came back from a show in Utah and he was at, at our place finishing the song and he just had me sit in a chair and he was like, this is the most special piece of art you have ever been a part of. Wow. You've ever made. Wow. And he, he said, sit down and he hit play 
and yeah, I just sat there and kind of soaked it in and, um, and yeah, I was just in tears. And I, and I, I think it's really powerful because not only am I speaking to any kid who's out there going through that in the song, but the song also was kind of written from the perspective of like me talking to my old self in that hospital bed being like, you have no idea how much better this gets if you just, if you just get through this, you know? Um, you can't see it now, but it, it, it's going to be really special if you can hold on a little bit longer. And I think that everyone needs to hear that and know that. And so we're really excited to, uh, I think that's the only song that we're not going to um, release along the way. So it's going to be fun to drop those songs along the way and then have that final title track kind of come out at the end and be that uh, kind of closure for the record. A couple months ago, I saw Daughtry in concert um, with uh, Pop Evil. Uh, great concert. But as you know, he lost his stepdaughter, um, and I'm sure he, and he took a break from from touring for a bit. Uh, and so when he got up on stage, he dedicated a song to her and sang it. And I was thinking the whole time to myself, how is he getting through this without breaking down emotionally and his voice cracking and, and that sort of thing? And so you just talked about emotion and, and writing these songs, and you see these people, and you deal with them every day, and you hear their stories. And is there ever a point where you're – singing live and you just get to the point where you can't, you have to take a, you have to stop, kind of gather yourself and, and then go back and sing. Or does that, you just, you just, it's kind of like robotic to the point where you're just doing it, but then afterwards you reflect. It's a great question. Um, and I love Chris and Daughtry, by the way. Um, we've been, I've, I've pushed every button I know how to push to try and do a collab with those guys. So they're listening. Um, hit me up. Um, you know, I think, uh, I risk how the answer will make me sound. Um, I think that it's hard for me to be emotionally involved on stage because I think that I, you know, I, I have vocal trauma. I have singing trauma. I had some really bad experiences trying to do it before I had any training where my voice would blow out three songs in. And um, I, I remember just like the look of disappointment on my bandmates face and people in the audience and just feeling like, something's wrong with me. I'm broken. Why is this happening? I mean, just the shame and humiliation. Um, I've had to do, I had to go through a lot of therapy to get through that and to be open to going back on stage. So, um, and a lot of that was because I was so in my emotions and not focused enough on the technique and making sure I'm having enough breath and all these different things I had to relearn. So to answer that question, I think that, um, with how much trauma and emotion there is there, um, I've had to learn, not to be numb or shut them off, but to be more dialed in on, um, you know, I'm just going to get up here and, and really focus on all the technique and doing everything I have to, to protect my voice, mm. especially when it's the first night of 30. Right. And, you know, I, I don't really have a lot of room for margin for error when it comes to that. So I'm hoping that, you know, and I'm just being honest about where I'm at as a human being. So I hope people don't think that, Oh, he doesn't care about the songs that he's singing on stage, but um, I'm hoping that I'll be able to get to a place where I'm so comfortable that I can really just get into it and perform it. You know, I just think that people are paying and traveling to see these shows. Like I at least want to be able to sing them properly. You know what I mean? Like they've earned that. And I, they, they deserve my level of effort when it comes to what it takes for me to be able to get there. So no, I'm on stage just, 
really trying to manage my anxiety and focus on, okay, like healthy breath to get through this line, keep it balanced, don't push too hard. Oh, if I push too hard, let's dial it back a little bit. You know, like that whole, it's like a play-by-play in my head throughout the entire set. So it's hard to really have much room for anything else. You said that uh, on another podcast that you're really big into routine. What is your typical routine on the day of a show? Man, it's funny because I'm big into routine, but I hate routine. <laughs> I'm big into routine um, when it comes to like preparing for things that require routine to be successful. Like I get a lot of comfort from like my vocal practice is happening every day. If, if like I'm supposed to go to the gym in the morning and something happens and I end up having to go in the evening, it makes me really anxious. Because I'm like, oh my gosh, it's going to ruin everything. I'm not going to be in shape for the show. I'm not going to be able to sing. You know, I start to spiral a little bit. So my routine is important in that sense. But um, I do need like, I mean, obviously I, I, I work in this industry because I struggle to just do the same thing nine to five every single day. Um, I think that the biggest thing with routine is I really um, find a lot of comfort in like before the show because, you know, I really struggle with with anxiety and with being present and so the day of a show people don't see like from 9 a.m to 4 p.m you're driving in the van and you're probably just listening to music or distracting yourself or trying to numb your brain but there's so much downtime and you're playing a half hour but you're sitting at the venue from 4 p.m until um whenever so like routine is really valuable there where i i need to find time to meditate I'm going to go for a walk and get my steps in and see a new city and just be mindful of that and not think about the show. That's later. It's not right now, you know, um, making sure I get a really good warm up in where I have extra time and I can sing a couple songs. Um, and then after the set, making sure I'm using my vocal straw and doing my water bottle cool down and, you know, hydrating my vocal cords and then going to the merch table. Like I, I think that having that kind of routine has really helped me have more confidence and it's been comforting to me. And when it just comes to my mental health in general, I, I think that um, when you create routine habits out of things like songwriting or exercise or other things, um, those can also become things that are more of a comfort and a release to you than a stressor. Like I don't, I don't get stressed about going to the gym anymore. I'm like, oh yes, now I get to go just, you know, um, go work out and just blow up all the steam. So yeah, routines have definitely been helpful for me. Awesome. So one last thing, um, you guys are coming to Chicago. You guys are coming to Chicago in April. We'd love to see you. We're going to be there. So let's connect um, after we get done here and hit and hit the record button. We'll get some details to you. But um, wait a minute, you haven't hit the record button. Have we not been recording this whole time? <laughs> Maybe. Um, <laughs> but you guys are doing 18, 18 cities in the nor- in North America. Um, and with Smash Into Pieces, you guys are opening for them. It's going to be a phenomenal show. They're a phenomenal band. You guys are a phenomenal band. And we can't thank you enough for your time today. And um, uh, we just, we, we really appreciate the uh, the time that you invested with us and, and opened up and, uh, and and spent with us. Anything, Ryan? No, thank you. I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Likewise. That was one of the most fun interviews. Um, I've, done, I've done a lot of interviews with a lot of different people, um, not necessarily in the rock spectrum, but I've done a lot of interviews with a lot of people and that was really fun. I, I enjoyed his honesty. I enjoyed our conversation. We actually talked to him for what, almost an hour, 20 minutes. Hour, hour, yeah. Just about hour, almost an hour and a half. We spoke for another 40 minutes after we got done with that interview, just off the record, not recorded. 
had a long conversation with some of, we dug into some of the other things that we had talked about, like the financial parts of it, like, um, like the touring part of it, like the mental health part of it. And he was able to kind of open up a little more, um, you know, on all of it. Well, I knew it was going to be good when he said shine down was one of his main inspirations. I was like, here we go. And alter bridge and alter bridge, right? And alter bridge. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, and the fact that he had toured briefly as, as briefly as it was with Adelita's way. And they're going out on a Midwest tour with, with Royal bliss and they're getting, um, on their North American, uh, tour, which was, was smashed into pieces. And, you know, hopefully we'll get a chance to, um, further our discussion with him, uh, in April at, at, at the venue that in Chicago that they're playing at. And what a genuine guy. Yeah. I mean, he's got a lot of knowledge, you know, when he talks about, you know, we could have signed with, with a, a record label, we chose to be independent and all the things that we talked about afterwards, it really opens your eyes to the music industry as a whole. Yes. Of how corrupt isn't the right word. It is not. It's, opportunistic, I think is maybe the word that I would use for the record industry because they take people who are young yep. inexperienced. Their goal is to be famous, right? Versus whatever it is that they're doing musically. And um, many people don't have the business experience or to, acumen or acumen yeah. to say, yes, I, I do want this type of contract. They don't have, you know, they've got their parents who are looking over contracts or they're the only ones looking over contracts they're getting screwed in some of these scenarios. Yeah, they really are. Um, one of the things that we didn't do before the interview that we have to do now is happy hour. Ooh. So if you are somewhere um, listening to this, uh, we're going to do a couple of uh, whiskeys for you. What's our first one? First one is going to be George Dickel. This is a single barrel. D-I-C-K-E-L. Dickel. Dickel. Got it. Richard loves the Dickel. This is a 14-year-old from a Wisconsin uh, place called Club Liquor. They had a single barrel. It's from 2013. Mm. Woo. What? Uh, this is an old distillate. Okay. So oh. if if I'm going to buy that, yeah. what are we talking price-wise? Uh, so I think I picked this up for 80 bucks on the shelf in 2013. Um, this one's going to be a little bit more. Dickel's not huge as far as secondary is concerned. But so if you had a full bottle of it somewhere and you were on the secondary market, sealed. which you might pay a hundred dollars, 120. Yeah. Maybe one twenty, maybe one fifty. Okay. Maybe. All right. So, you have yours. Yeah. Cheers. cheers. All right. Ooh, that one's one Oh six proof. That one's in. pretty smooth, but it does hit you right in the nose. Doesn't it get you? Get me a little bit more here. Oh, but I like the flavor. Yeah. I'm trying to place what that, what that is. Is that Flintstone vitamins? No, no, no. Okay. Is it oaky? What is that? Yeah, it's a little oaky. I would say so. Um, I can kind of taste the barrel. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's typically your oak. Yeah. But I mean, it's very pronounced. Some of these that we've done, not so much. Not I, so I mean, much. they're just, they're okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you, they burn some you, of them and some of them are very smooth. <laughs> this one has a very pronounced like take, I can, it's like I'm licking the wood itself. Yeah, I'm just it's I, the, very the older it's in there, the more the sugars are going to break down. Years, and you're just going to have that oak flavor inside that barrel. So I pick it up right away. Like sometimes it's the aftertaste. Yeah, that one right away. Okay, it's good. I mean, I like it. It's um, it's not too bad. As you know, I like every. <laughs> I love oh, that sound. I'm just, I'm just excited. I just, I, the. 
the the thing for me is I like everything under basically ninety proof. I want to let you know this next one coming up is one thirteen and a half. So, by the way, I have my back chair bay <laughs> banana rum in a glass, completely <laughs> polluting your palate. Is what that's yeah. doing. Oh, it's so good though, and it was full to the brim. What is it, about halfway now? About halfway. Yeah. And that was just the before and after segment here. It wasn't even during the interview. Just warming up. Oh, it's so cold now. Um, All right, what do you got here? So real quick, and I know this is going to take a smidge longer to explain, uh, but this is a Four Roses single barrel. And I actually, uh, it is specifically a 10-year aged OBSO. Uh, For all you whiskey people out there, Four Roses has two different mash bills, five different yeast strands. It's 10 different bottling offerings that they have for single barrels. This one's an OBSO. I picked it. Unfortunately, the group that I was with when I was down in Kentucky, they didn't want this specific barrel. It came in as our number two. Mm. I talked to the uh, barrel master. Her name is Mandy. And I said, uh, can you please let me know who picks this and where it goes? This one got picked two weeks later. It went out to Massachusetts. I tracked it down, had a buddy go out and buy me four bottles, and now I've got it here. I had him send it over to me. When was this? Uh, this just got bottled uh, recently, within the last month. Wow. So this is recent. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. so what do you pay a bottle on this? Oh, this is... So they've recently raised this up. It's about 90 bucks. So four bottles, bucks. you're about 400 bucks. Yeah, just about. Okay, so about $100 a bottle. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, you don't have hold, any. Get some on, in there. On, oh, you just had some. You cheated. That's Here exciting. we go. Cheers. Okay. That's really good. Mm-hmm. It's really good. Um, I don't taste the oak. No, it's until all- it actually goes down. Whereas the other one was my whole pronounced. mouth tasted. Yeah, yeah, my whole mouth tasted. It was very pronounced. This one's for th- what is it again? One hundred six, one sixteen, one thirteen and a half. One thirteen and a half. This was way smoother than the Dickel. Yeah, it went down super smooth. I would have more of it. Like, this is a really good one. Like, if you have an extra bottle, I probably, I, I might buy it from you. I, yeah, of course. Okay. Um, uh, one thing I want to say real quick yeah. is, I, I know we just listened to that interview. Um, it, it, I think it blew me away to know that his lyrics were coming from not only his own background, but from some of the work that he was doing with some of the patients that he's had. Obviously, mm-hmm. he's not calling them out by name. Right. He would say, uh, they would situations. say something. He would write it down. Track it, right, and then write a song six months later or whatever. The creative process blew me. He's away. He's got to have a wealth of information. I can't every I, day. I would love to see one of his notebooks. I don't know if I'd like to read it. I just like <laughs> to see it because I'm sure there's right. crazy stories in there. Right. So well, so I'll just end by saying many thanks to Jake Segura from from Citizen Soldier. If you have a chance to go out and see them with Smash Into Pieces on their North American tour starting April into May, please do so. I think it was, what did we say, 18 cities? Yeah. Uh, nine and nine, nine first leg, nine the second leg. I think we're about the fourth on the list, I think, if I'm not mistaken. April. A couple in Canada. Yeah. Uh, they go to Columbus, and then they come to us in Chicago. And uh, hopefully, by the time that we um, go and see them in Chicago, we'll have some more to report. Hoping to get the opportunity to talk to him a little more uh, while he's here. But uh, many thanks to, to to Jake and the guys for uh, their time and cons- continued success 
uh, in the future for those guys. I think if more people listen to them, because uh, they're huge on TikTok, right? I mean, yeah. they're huge on TikTok, and they have a lot of views. Uh, Eight hundred thousand a month, I think, are their their listeners a month. I mean, they're they're big time. Oh yeah, even though they're not big time, self promoted and absolutely self done. So it was a great interview. Any last words? No. Perfect. Next time. Thanks, everybody. See you guys.